0: Hi, I'm Valerie Moizel. Over 20 years ago, I co-founded my company with a creative spark, an entrepreneurial spirit, and a fearless attitude. I've long dreamed of sharing a space where I can interview successful women and hear them talk from their hearts about how they found their way. What I'm learning is it's not such a linear path. We all have what I call the four S's. The initial spark, the snag which trips you up, The shift that helps you find your way to the final S, success. No, not always in that order. And yes, sometimes the steps repeat. Together, we will learn from each other and be inspired. These are women who rule. This is She Dynasty. Hello, and welcome back to She Dynasty. I'm excited to say that we are on the road again, but this time we are in New York. Today, we will be interviewing Arielle Patrick, a senior vice president in the financial communications and capital markets group at the world's largest PR firm, Edelman. At only 29 years old, Arielle is one of the youngest senior executives in all of financial PR. But before we talk to Arielle, I'd like to introduce today's co-host, Allie Wald.
1: Hi, Allie. Hi, Valerie, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing well.
0: So, Allie is the director of new business development at a company called 212 Management, And Allie and I just met a few minutes ago for the very first time, and I love that you're already co-hosting a show with me that's really in the true spirit of
1: She Dynasty. So fun. Thank you so much for having me. Have you ever done a podcast before? I have not. This is really exciting. I feel like I'm checking something off of my life bucket list. Fantastic.
0: So tell us a little bit about what you do and why you thought it would be important to be here today.
1: Yes, so I'm the director of business development at 212, and we predominantly represent talent in the food and beverage space. So we manage their careers from top to bottom, 360 approach. So that could be negotiating TV contracts for them, brand endorsements. Um, I get a chance to be super strategic and creative, very fulfilling, but why I was interested in talking with Ariel was that we had a very similar beginning. We both seemed to quickly realize that print was a dying industry, and both coincidentally ended up in public relations. You know, in Arielle's case, in my case, it's totally different. She has stayed in the PR route, and I've moved to talent representation, but I think that we can really draw a lot of parallels from our day to day. I'm excited to see um, kind of an inside look into you know, how she deals with huge financial companies. Well, she'll be here in a few
0: minutes, so um, I'm excited to get started. Great.
2: Arielle, thank you for being here today. Thanks so much. It's an honor, and uh, I love being in a room with brilliant women. Can't wait to get started. So we met through
0: a a mutual friend, Chelsea Grayson, who was a former um, person on one of my podcasts and one of my favorite episodes. I learned so much from her. She's such a badass.
2: Chelsea sort of defines the nasty woman to me. Um, Just a little bit about her, she was a client of mine um, back when she was CEO at American Apparel, and now she's CEO and board member of True Religion, um, and somehow finds time to get in a workout and have two kids. I don't really get how she accomplishes that, but goals for all of us. She
0: is a superwoman (laughs) for sure. Well, I have to um, make a little confession. I was a little nervous, more nervous than normal, about interviewing you today and I'm gonna tell you why. So first of all, um, you're obviously a lot younger than me and you have this incredible kind of journey and trajectory that you're on and also you went to an Ivy League school and for me people who went to Ivy League schools have um, magic powers. I know that sounds <laughs> crazy but I um, my path was very different. I came from parents that didn't really understand the idea of college and so I wasn't really put on that path. And so. For me, anyone who goes to a school like that is just like, wow. So I'm, I'm going to ask you a little bit about that. Okay. I think you are officially one of the youngest people I've had on Xi Dynasty, which I love as well, again, because you have already found so much success. So I'm anticipating to have you back here in like 10 years just because I know you're going to accomplish so much more. Thank you. So you graduated from Princeton uh, only six and a half years ago, and you're already, like, have accomplished so much. So you have a very interesting, important, and awesome job, and I'm going to try to explain it. You work closely with legal teams, financial advisory firms, boards of directors, and CEOs to help companies figure out how and what they should say when they find themselves in very specific financial situations. And these situations can include anything from mergers and acquisitions, bankruptcies, restructuring, or shareholder activism. So basically, you help companies kind of save their butts when they're going through change, turmoil, or a very specific difficult situation. Is
2: that correct? That was way more eloquent than I could have described it. So awesome.
0: (laughs) So can you tell us, um, you know, I know that a lot of what you do is highly confidential, but for those listening, can you explain it in a little more detail?
2: I think the best way to put it is I get paid to be a psychologist. Um, So, you know, often you know fortune 500 companies especially publicly traded companies have several competing demands and objectives right so on the one hand they have to keep business running and if they're consumer facing business they have to you know please their customers they also have to keep their employees happy and working hard but then they also have shareholders who need to see returns on a regular basis a lot of times those objectives don't always run in the same direction and so you know, if a company needs to, for example, divest an asset that's underperforming, you know, they think of it as a business decision, right? And they say, we're going to announce on our next investor call that we're divesting this asset. And, you know, I'm sure the stock price will go up and um, investors would be happy with that. But what about the employees that are losing jobs? What about the customers that are really into that product? If, say, it's a product, a, you know, consumer business, Um so I'm the person that goes in and says, okay, great that you're making this decision. And actually sometimes we're part of the decision making. That's the most exciting part is when we're more consultants. So um, my firm is huge. Um, Edelman, 65 offices. We're known for a lot of things, digital, media, traditional PR, but we're I sort of sit within a consulting arm. And so a lot of the businesses that do what I do are actually not um, at PR firms. They're at McKinsey, they're at Bain, they're at Um, boutiques like Joelle Frank Sard Verbenen so we do a very specific thing that I really love because it's it integrates consulting PR um, just EQ right Um, writing So so the
0: financial PR piece of this is a very specific niche within the company
2: correct exactly and within the industry it's it's grown immensely I mean there was a period where lawyers and bankers would handle a deal process and write all the messaging and sometimes the press release on their own and PR firms and consulting firms sort to get smart and say hey <laughs> yeah. we're yeah, the lawyers, ones to understand. Lawyers should not be writing PR <laughs> releases that's for sure they're not always the best and most eloquent to do. Right. And I hate to say that cuz my brother's an attorney and the attorneys I work with I love dearly but they look at things very black and white and we're the ones that have to say where's the nuance? How can I make someone feel better about what you're announcing? So it sounds like a very high stress
0: position because you're dealing with a lot of sensitive issues that can affect a lot of lives and the overall health of a company. So you have to be a master at choosing your strategy and your words very, very carefully, right?
2: Yeah. And I would say sometimes that gets exhausting because in my everyday life, you know, I need to remember that those are also important skills. And even when I'm dealing with teams internally, you have to be as... Sensitive with your words and you know careful as you would be with a client. So I I feel like I'm always performing. (laughs) So it's it's exhausting. So if you say the wrong thing, it could be it could cause problems. Correct. Well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. So you know, all throughout my career, I've and when I say all throughout, it sounds like it's it's been six and a half years, but it feels like dog years, right? Um, I've been part of a team and supporting that team. And by the way, even when you're senior, you're still supporting your team. I'm here to be helpful to everyone who needs to get the job done, but I am in a slightly different position than I was even a year ago before I got this job because I now have to sort of have a brand and I represent the firm and everything that I do. So, you know, I'm doing a lot more new business marketing out there in the field at conferences, getting people to understand who we are. And this is the first time I don't have anyone behind me to talk for me right I'm the voice and so constantly I feel like presenting myself and so getting used to that as part of your everyday life is it's a bit of a challenge I, I would say So once you craft a
0: message and you put it out there, do you guys feel like you ever have to kind of brace yourself to see how well it's received? And then do you have to pivot quickly if things don't go as
2: expected? Is that something that happens? So that's a really good question, actually, because stakeholder research is a big part of making sure that we don't make mistakes. So if we have enough time, sometimes we don't, but usually we have enough time before an announcement to talk to, for example, the head of HR, you know, the the CRM. It's basically everyone who could tell you how they perceive that their specific stakeholder audience is going to feel, right? So I, we make sure that we dot our eyes and cross our t's. So I never mm-hmm. just craft messaging without having spoken to pretty much every important person within that organization who understands the psychology and sort of understands, you know, every day what questions could come up. And of course, sometimes it doesn't resonate. And sometimes you underestimate what the media is going to react to or what any other stakeholder is going to react to. But I've found that we've learned how to not be surprised.
0: So you do a lot of research before a message goes out just to make sure
2: that you're kind of on track for where you need to be. Absolutely. I would call it like insight led research, right? Having real conversations with real people. And what makes it difficult is often these are announcements where no one knows about it. So you have to figure out who's over the wall that could give me some semblance of information that's helpful. But I will tell you this, the CEO is not the person to talk to if you want to understand what everyone feels, because they're at the top, they have other objectives, and there are people that are closer to the ground that you should be engaging with.
0: So when a message is announced, it kind of reminds me of um, when those people at NASA are launching a rocket. You kind of sit back and kind of
2: hope everything's going to go well. Does it feel kind of like that? I think I've learned at this point it's been so long that I don't get the jitters anymore. But I think there I do remember pressing send on my first release where I was running a deal and it was just me. I think I remember I was in Florida alone working on this project and I I almost threw up 100 percent when the announcement went out. But you get used to it and and you also get paid to be the calmest person in the room. So you can't really afford to be the one that's anxious because the client's anxious. We're there to keep
0: everyone cool as a cucumber, so. So showing that you have confidence in what you're doing makes everyone calm and cool as
2: well. Absolutely. I There have been many CEOs where I've actually held their hand physically, right, when they're going through something tough. I so. love that. I love to hear that. Yeah.
0: All right, so before we go into more detail about what kind of drives you today, I want to go into a little bit of background on you. Um, where are you originally from? And tell us a bit about your childhood.
2: <laughs> the reason why I'm laughing is... Um, I just, I I definitely had a happy childhood and I'm really close with my family, so I love talking about them. Born and raised in New York City, I actually hilariously live in the same building that I grew up in on the Upper East Side. My parents actually are in Lincoln Center now and spend a lot of their time in Connecticut, but it's funny because whenever I walk into the building, the doormen still treat me like I'm 11 years old. Growing up in New York was interesting because it was a bit of an enclave, right? You know, uptown isn't the most diverse part of the city. Um, we were definitely one of the only black families in our building. I think probably the only um, at at some points. And um, I went to a tiny prep school, all-girls school called Chapin, which I'm just praying that I have a daughter so I can send her there. Aww. It was really an amazing experience. Love that. And so I would say that the feminist narrative of today that everyone's really hyped, hopped up on has been a really integral part of my life Is that my, my all- entire life. Is an all-girls school? All-girls school. It's funny because conversations around Me to conversations around women's empowerment. I know that they're being played out to death right now, but it's just, it's been part of me for so long. So I'm so happy that right now I think the whole nation and the whole world is focused on it. I had a very, very hard working mother, very, very hard working father. And I think seeing them do that and also make time for philanthropic endeavors was part of how I became who I am. Uh, my dad was you know, always traveling, but somehow found time to you know, be on charity boards. I'm actually on one with him now, which is kind of fun. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. It's really fun. It's fun to be in a phase where my parents actually view me as an adult. I also forgot to mention the most important person, which is my brother. We're a year apart. He's my best friend in the whole world. We live across the street from each other. Oh my gosh. <laughs> were
0: kind of funny. Very cool. So I'm assuming you were a stellar student being that you got into Princeton. What
2: was your major there? I was a classics major, ancient Greek and Latin, history, language, and um, literature. I know it has nothing to do with what I do now, but that was sort of the point. I wanted to be a nerd for a while. And it's, you know, knowing that I could get any job I wanted, you know, based on working hard on internships and going to school where I wanted to school, went to school, I kind of thought, why not enjoy studying something completely irrelevant and build another side of my brain? And I actually thought that my major ended up benefiting me because, you know, when you're a classics major, you have to find a needle in a haystack. I know how to research like nobody's business because these are texts that only exist in one library. You have to go find that library, sit in the reading room, right? There's no JSTOR, there's no online resource. Um, And, you know, writing is a big part of it too. And those are two skills that I use all the time. So it was kind of fun. So my 14-year-old daughter, um, Arielle, who has the same (gasps) name
0: as you. Oh, my goodness. um, So just (laughs) a coincidence. So she is listening, and she said, Mommy, you have to ask her a question for me. It is her dream to go to an Ivy League school. She's
2: obsessed. And so she wanted me to ask you, what's your best advice? How do you get in? I would say this. Always do more than what's expected of you. You know, most kids that I went to college with took maybe one or two AP classes and exams. I took nine Oh, wow. <laughs> so I sort of, I did the most. I just always knew that pushing myself would be rewarding in some way. And I can't think of anything actually that I did from in middle school, high school or college that wasn't above what was expected of me. And I know that sounds like a bit of a pressure cooker-esque answer. And I don't, I never want kids to feel stressed out because it's not a good feeling. But if you're up to the task, she's definitely push up. She's definitely up to
0: it. So when did you realize that you wanted
2: a career in PR? I really, I stumbled into it, to be honest. Um, I idolized my father, who is a journalist. He's a TV journalist, though, but I wanted to do print. And that was my goal. And something happened around '09 when I was doing, I think it was my third or fourth internship in publishing. And I remember this, like Condé Nast announced that they were folding X amount of publications The Daily Beast, the Huffington Post, that was how everyone was getting their information. And I realized the days of writing three-page features in Newsweek weren't in the cards for me. Um, And so my dad actually said, well, why don't you look into the other side of things? I think my mom also, too. They sort of – they have this way – my parents have this way of guiding me where it's not instruction. I almost believe that I came up with it on my own. Oh, I love that. So I think it was actually funny. I was giving an interview to somebody – um, and i was like you know i decided to switch to pr and my mom was like that's not how it actually happened <laughs> so i think it was you know subtle comments over the kitchen table sending information and i kind of realized that there was a more lucrative and at least stable and growing part of the industry not to say that journalism isn't having you know an interesting moment it is but digital wasn't really what was compelling to me and so at that time it was a confluence of events so it was my, you know, obviously the magazine world was shifting. The other part of it was Occupy Wall Street was right. a big movement. Right. And I remember at the time, it's funny that I work at Edelman now because that was actually my first internship, and PR was at Edelman. Um, I was in the public affairs group, and we had an assignment that was vaguely related to the movement working on behalf of a financial institution. And I remember, even though I wasn't working on the account, I was just an intern saying, this is it, right? We're in a moment where big, bad corporations are under fire, and they will shell out any amount of cash to make sure that their reputation is protected, because at the end of the day, their reputation is their bottom line. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of how I got focused. Um, And then I ended up after graduation at um, Weber Shamwick, which is an amazing company, similar to Edelman. Sixty somewhat offices worked in the financial services area, actually specifically. So I was working on Goldman Sachs and a few other banks. So your first spark is when you
0: saw an opportunity or a niche or like a hole that you could fill, just because of what was happening in the world.
2: Exactly. I just paid attention to what was around me and connected the dots. It didn't happen overnight, but it was gradual and it was it was pretty interesting.
0: So early in your career, um, you wrote in your pre-interview that you hit a snag. And I hate to say this, but I loved, (laughs) loved your snag because as a business owner, I see so many people make this mistake. So I wanted to talk about it a bit.
2: Tell us what that snag was. My first ever snag. um, It was actually the first time that I would ever been told that I didn't do a good job at something. And it was also the first time that I had to be honest with myself and realized I wasn't trying as hard as I could have that's difficult to swallow when you spend your entire life over performing and um, going above and beyond Um, you know post-college focus on all of my friends I remember at the time I was dating this guy and we were always going out and yeah I was I was showing up at work I was doing what I had to do but I don't think I was putting in that extra five ten minutes to make sure that everything was you know buttoned up and I also think that I didn't have I didn't have the humility to realize that being a junior team member was important you know, I was like, huh, I went to Princeton. Why is someone sending me um, a document to print? Or why am I responsible for only proofreading? Why am I not writing the document? And those skills are incredibly important. Long story short, my first performance review, I was told I did not meet expectations because I didn't pay attention to detail. And I thought, "Uh, hello, grammar mistakes? Is that really what I'm getting dinged for? I also did all these other great things, right? And what they said was, big picture is great, but that's not what you're paid to do right now. You're paid to pay attention to the details. And so it was a really big moment for me. I remember feeling discouraged and thinking, oh, well, this isn't the industry for me because everyone thinks I'm stupid. And then I just kind of had to come to Jesus and I thought, maybe this is important. Maybe there was something to it. It's funny because what I did to train myself to overcome those obstacles and as it relates to paying attention to detail have paid off immensely. I'm now the like person who catches every mistake in every document, right? I'm all about the grammar, all about the punctuation. And those are great skills to have. I don't miss anything anymore because mm-hmm. I worked so hard to learn how to be a junior team member. And what I have realized, and this is something that Richard Edelman says, is everybody's an account executive. Right. I'm an account executive, right? I'm willing to get my hands dirty and I'm also willing to do big picture stuff and be the quote unquote senior one. Right. So it was a really hard lesson, but Turned it around. I mean, I think this is a real learning moment for people just because
0: I see this so often where, um, you know, I will hire somebody and I think they're brilliant, which is part of the reason why I've hired them. And they don't realize that they have to pay their dues in order to get to a place that's a little higher than they want to be, mm-hmm. because there's people that have, you know, been doing it for years before them, and they've been hired, as you said, as a junior team member to support others. But it's so important that you kind of go through those steps and do that before you, you know, before you get to that point where you think you can do it all. I think that everyone listening
2: should, you know, to stop and think about that. It's interesting having the role reversal now and delivering that feedback. I think um, the way it's delivered makes all the difference, right? It's less about what you say. It's how you say it.
0: Clearly, you took the feedback well because it shifted your entire kind of way of being. I'm sure at first you probably were mad and didn't like the feedback. But, yeah. but did it take you a minute to kind of internalize it and then realize, you know what, I've got to pay my dues in order to get to where I want to be?
2: I remember, of course, being angry. But I the turnaround was actually pretty quick because I thought, I don't have a choice. I'm however many months out of college, I'm not going to look for a new job. That's crazy. And I also can't tell my parents that I didn't do well. So what's actually funny is this podcast is probably the first time they're going to hear about this. (laughs) I never told them about it. And I really – I righted the ship. I ended up moving up six times in my five years there. Really turned it around. But um, the reason I didn't tell them was actually because I wanted to do it on my my own. And I didn't want instruction. I didn't want suggestions. I wanted to just say – figure this out. And it was the first time I really had to do that without handholding. So that was kind of cool. Awesome. Mom, dad, you
0: heard it first here on She Dynasty. (laughs) I love that. So since then, obviously, um, things started going well because you got promoted six times in 5.5 years. Wow. You obviously got the (laughs) message loud and clear. So why do you think things started turning around so quickly for you?
2: I realized a couple of things. I realized that being collegial with colleagues was really, really important. Um, and showing others that you are happy to be of service to them is really important no matter what level you are. That was a big realization. Um, I think another was, like I said earlier, not being afraid to get your hands dirty, no matter what you're doing in what no matter what your level is. But I think the last thing was learning that I wasn't an expert, right? I assigned myself reading every single morning. I read, and that's changed a little bit. I'll tell you what I read now. But every single morning I would read Barron's, the Wall Street Journal, and the Financial Times, not cover to cover, but all the important parts. Um, and I wanted to make sure I was a nerd on it. I knew every acronym. I knew everything. Um, I taught myself how to read a balance sheet. No one asked me to, but I kind of put myself through a tiny MBA. So, you know, seeking those le- learning opportunities is really important and realizing you're not above education. Even today, I'm constantly educating myself. So...
0: Right. So the education part, kind of coupled now with experience, is what has kind of propelled you to move forward just because you keep kind of proving that you can do more and more. So obviously, people are seeing that around you. So, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, I'm sure that you have had a few great mentors in your life. So, what was one big or key takeaway that you've learned from a mentor? that has had a big impact on you? Maybe a principle you use every day? Um,
2: yes. One of my mentors who I actually sort of forced to be my mentor, that's a big part of mentorship is putting yourself out there and getting people to coach you. He said to me that a key element of being successful is being nimble, even though having a plan has its perks, you need to be open to what comes. And I think that was actually the, you know, that case study of of that first performance review is a perfect example of that. I had to be flexible You know, I thought that I had charted a path for myself and I knew exactly how to get there. And all of the qualities that I thought were required to move up in the world were not even relevant. I had to pick new ones. It's just crazy the amount of opportunities that have come up and other things that have not worked out that I expected to. And you just need to go with the flow. So I know it sounds a little bit cheeky, but I I pretty much say that to myself almost every day.
0: So, Arielle, sometimes a key moment or an event that didn't go well can, um, you know, which is a major snag, can propel you forward. Can you tell us about a moment like that in your career?
2: <laughs> yes. Um, I remember vividly I was responsible for doing a very – I'm trying to blind this, of course, because it's it's confidential. So very confidential Um, material event that a company was experiencing. They had an investor call. And shortly after, I was supposed to do a Bloomberg interview with the CEO, who i had never met in person, but was this big shot. And I hadn't assigned backup for the interview just because I thought I could handle it. At the time, I was traveling and in a different time zone. So the client was in the UK. I'm not on the East Coast. The calendar invite is on the East Coast time, but I'm in Central time. Right. So, of course, I oversleep, missed the call. It was supposed to be at, like, 6 a.m. or something like that. It was just awful. And so I missed the interview. Oh, boy. Who told you you missed the call, or how did you realize it? I just saw my email, and there were, like, eight, you know, messages and texts from the client saying, what the hell? And that was actually a moment where I had a decision, right? I could either break down and cry, or I could fix it. I did both, (laughs) because no one's perfect. So I had about 10 minutes of the crying, and then... 10 minutes of planning and then executed for the rest of the day basically what i ended up doing was i used my rolodex found another reporter who would take a written interview drafted responses on behalf of the ceo sent them over super quickly got their approval sent them back and got a fresh story written um in time i don't know how i did that but it was one of those situations where my stomach was in knots i, I remember sweating through two layers of clothing and I could have frozen, but I kind of just knew that the client objective was the most important and we figured it out. So you had to rise up and fi- and just solve it. Yeah. Beautiful. There was also a bit of prayer in there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that always helps. So um, at what point in your career did you start to think that you were on your way to success? Like when when was that moment or what was starting to happen or what shift did you see?
2: It's so funny because you keep mentioning where I went to school for me, for some reason, being acknowledged by them was always important to me. And so... Them it, meaning Princeton. Yeah. This past year, I, they featured me in the Alumni Magazine, and they also asked me to speak at a conference, and I... Oh my gosh. I remember those were two of the happiest moments of my life. I can only imagine. Because I was like, the fact that they even know who I was, right? Right. Isn't it's that just, supposed to happen when you're like 60? I know. And I was on a panel with women in their 70s. I love that. It was awesome. Um, And the you know the feature was cool, too. And I don't know. That was a big moment. I think another moment, though, is when you're asked to be in service to others, right? When you're asked to help. That's been the most rewarding part. Every day I open my email, there's 10 emails from young women asking, can you mentor me? Every time I look at my LinkedIn, there's somebody asking for something. and Oh my
0: gosh. That just gave me chills. I it's, love that.
2: It's so cool. And I must I must admit, you have to prioritize self-care so you can't respond to everyone and give everyone everything. But I try to, and I try to help in any way that I can. And um, just being in a position to be of service to others, I think, is the epitome of success.
0: Beautiful. So I know that you are a millennial, and I know there's a lot of stereotypes that come with that.
2: We're, we're not as bad as everyone I thinks. know.
0: I, <laughs> I agree with you. By the way, that's part of the reason I started She Dynasty, because I really wanted to help bridge the gap. Um, so we know that millennials are probably the most one of the most powerful generations, um, changing the way we literally do everything, from the way we eat, the way we shop, the way we work, the way we live, the way we vacation. So that being said, what important values do you think um, are important to keep from older generations?
2: So let's, I mean, let's keep it within the realm of career. I would say my parents' generation really valued putting in your time. Yes, And, you know, my dad, I would call him a company man, right? He was at ABC for 15 years, been at CBS for a super long time. I think he had a couple stints in there at other networks, but really valued building something. And... To be honest, millennials sometimes view that as some sort of failure. It's like everyone wants to be a CEO, everybody wants to start something, everyone wants to be on their own, and working for the man isn't cool anymore. I actually don't, you know, um, subscribe to that. When I look at the Forbes 30 under 30 year over year, a significant portion of those people that have founded businesses, those businesses don't exist. Um, unfortunately, some of them are my friends. And while it's a great endeavor, you have to make sure that you actually have a good idea and you're doing something because you want to, not just because you want to unleash yourself from the grind. So, you know, as is evidenced by the fact that I stayed at a firm for as long as I did, you know, the bulk of my career was at one place. I would say that there is value in building relationships, working for something, realizing that you can always learn from others. You know, baby boomers have been some of my greatest mentors. I don't, think I'm above needing them. So how do we do a better job kind of bridging the gap in the
0: workplace just because, you know, technology changing so quickly and uh, most of the things that are happening in the world, especially in advertising and PR, the industries that we're in, they're probably more intuitive to, you know, someone like you versus generations that are older than you. So how do we make everyone's voice kind of count in the workplace? And is that something that you have to deal with at all? Yeah, well,
2: it's interesting being 29 and being part of the quote unquote senior team which is i would say the youngest person's probably like 45 because i feel like i'm constantly asked to bridge that gap right so you know how do we make it easier i well you know i think promoting really capable young people when they're ready is a big part of it i think historically there's been sort of this culture of you know looking at age as part of when someone's ready to be in a role i credit my boss for seeing me clearly and realizing i was ready for this challenge and not being, you know, distracted by the fact that at the time I was 28 years old, I remember just thinking, wow, he really understands me and and knows what I'm capable of. I think having fresh blood on our senior team has changed the way we work. So it's kind of the, the power
0: of both sides of how thinking comes about that makes it interesting or dynamic?
2: Yeah. I mean, I learned there's a wonderful woman on our team who runs our special situations practice who has decades of experience and every day I talk to her I learn something new but also every every day she talks to me she learns new terms she almost better understands her daughters right that's where where the magic happens it's like that experience
0: those years and years of experience with that fresh thinking um, and that understanding of today's world I think that's where you know some really great things start to take place
2: yeah yeah so
0: how does it feel to be so young and already kind of at the top of your game do you feel like you constantly have to prove yourself
2: because of your age um You know, I would say it's more gender than age. Oh, interesting. Okay. I'm somebody who, if you speak to me on the phone, you probably think I'm 45. When you meet me, of course, you realize I have a young face. But um, often we've locked in the business by phone, before, thankfully, before I have to walk into the conference room. You know, I think gender is a big part of it. This may be a bit of a tangent, but I do want to talk about something that's been bugging me a little bit, which is that when I look back at all the mentors I've had, I've realized that they've all been men. And, you know, I think a big part of making sure that people understand the business case for diversity is also making sure that women understand that it's good for business. Right. So not just training the men to understand that having more women in senior leadership is important, but actually the women. It's funny. Someone came up to me and was like, how does it feel to be like the youngest, you know, only African American woman, you know, on the senior team at this huge agency. And I was like, People need to stop being so proud of being the only one. Right. It's, the fact that I'm the only one is a problem to be solved. It's not an accomplishment. And I think that women need to start internalizing that as well. It's a minority complex, right? You're taught, you're, you know, they pat you on the head and they say, good job, you've really made it. And women have become sort of possessive of having these you know senior roles and being the only one. Like, hey, I'm an MD at X big investment bank. There's no room for others. And it's subconscious. We don't mean it. But I do think that we're actually part of the issue, and we're part of blocking other women, younger women, just women who are qualified from joining the ranks because we're we've become territorial. Right. Um, so I think sensitivity training and all of the sort of diversity psycho- psychological training that companies are investing in with men need to also make sure we have to make sure that women really buy it too. At the end of the day, there's proof that funds that have more diverse portfolio management teams perform better; they have better returns. Companies with more diverse public boards quite literally perform better. So let's make sure that women understand that, too.
0: Yeah, which is why it's so important that we become mentors for younger generations. So many of the women that I interview talk about their mentors, and most of them were men. And I want to hear about more female mentorship, you know, really kind of seeking out someone whose footsteps you want to follow in and really learn from them. It's important. Do you ever feel like your PR experience helps you in your personal life? Like you become a master of positioning
2: everything to friends and family. Probably. Although it's nice to have a day off. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe I'm doing it subconsciously, but it, it has helped me a lot with my with other parts of my life, such as my nonprofit work. Um, a lot of what I end up having to do with with the organizations that I serve on boards is help them position themselves. So I would say these are translatable skills for whatever you're doing.
0: Right. Well, I think positioning in general is such an important skill set no matter what you do, whether you're in PR or not. You have to position things in life, right? So, Arielle, how have your goals changed at all?
2: Right now, what's been really interesting is I've finally realized that having a family is important to me. You know, having grown up in this, you know, sort of echo chamber of old school branded feminism, um, you know, an all girls school and saying I can do everything by myself. And I still believe that, right? I don't need anyone, but I want to create a family. And it's funny that actually kind of resonated for me when, you know, there was a member of my family that was ill recently. And every, I mean, my family is so spread out. Everyone from all these geographies came together within several hours to support this person. And I thought, what a miss to not create that for me. Not everyone has the same objectives, but I just never thought I would even admit that to myself. Um, So yeah, that's been an interesting surprise. Um, How I'll juggle it all is a whole different thing. But again, back to the point of being nimble, I've realized we'll cross that bridge when we get there and we'll see what we can handle. But women need to also be a lot more forgiving of themselves. I've learned that on any given day, I might be an amazing professional, but also maybe a slightly crappy daughter and sister and friend. And other days I'm a stellar friend and something's got to give at work. So I think it's all about communication with those people and saying, here's what my priority is today or this week or this month or year. And So you might tell your parents or your family, you might not hear from me for two weeks
0: because it's kind of, you know, heads down, pencils, you know, kind of up, going and doing my thing.
2: Exactly. And I think the worst thing you can do is not communicate that. That's when people get upset and feel that you don't care but I've just learned to to communicate so that you know I don't try to be everything to everyone and fail at all of it
0: I think that's really smart advice because I have a lot of people that are always pissed off at me and if I just kind of set the expectation up front just saying hey it's going to be a really busy month for me then the expectation is set and they can't get mad at me so I'm definitely going to take that advice thank you (laughs) All right. So I want to talk a little bit about your um, nonprofit organizations that you're involved in. So can you tell us what you're doing in that space?
2: Sure. Um, so right now it's a pretty even split between sort of more social efforts and environmental. So I actually just left my post doing this, but I was um, chair of the Young Members Board for Audubon Society in New York, which was which is a conservation organization. People always associate it with birds, but it's actually about protecting birds' habitats, which really is every place. So anyway, now I'm actually um, on the National Advisory Council for Yellowstone Forever, which is the endowment for um, Yellowstone National Park. So that's really fun because I get to go down there um, once a year and hike, but also have meetings and look at beautiful animals and all that.
0: I read in an article um, about you where you said that you like to put all of your time to good use because you're the type of person who's driven to work around the clock. Can you explain how you do that?
2: (laughs) I'll say this. I'm always working even if I'm not working, right? So this morning I worked out at 7 a.m. Of course you did.
0: (laughs) Everybody who I interview wakes up between 5 and 7 and works out. It's just the kind of people that are on this podcast do that.
2: (laughs) By the way, this is, you know, something I've had to adopt. I was resistant to that for several years. I mean, earlier in my career, my dad used to say to me every week, you have to work out. Why aren't you working out? It's good for your brain. It's good for your ide- ideation and everything, brainstorming. You know, you never want to admit that your parents are right. He was absolutely right. So it's totally changed my life recently to to get more into that routine. And listen, some days I simply can't make it work because I have crazy things coming up in my, coming up in my schedule. But... I make time for it when I can. So, for example, today, seven thirty a.m. I'm working out. I'm not just mindlessly moving my body. I'm. I have a checklist. I'm coming up with ideas for my next thing. So, one other thing is, you know, you'll see in my purse, I always have a notebook. Every time I think of something, write it down. It's not just a checklist. It's also just ideas. It's concepts. I just. I don't like wasting my time. <laughs> right. So some, some people are just wired that way. Yeah. yeah. And, and I actually really admire people that can sit through a massage because I, I just can't.
0: I was just going to say that my best time to concept is when I'm getting a massage. <laughs> people think I'm so crazy when I say that. But um, when I'm getting massage and I'm super relaxed is when I have like the most clarity and I can come up with the best ideas. Maybe you can teach me more about unwinding. Sure. Um, I'm still learning myself. <laughs> so what advice would you give your younger self?
2: Honestly, it bridges back to what I mentioned earlier about the incredible task that women have as mothers, friends, daughters. I really wish as when I was younger that I w- didn't allow myself to get pulled into so many directions and be so reactive. I feel like I was always reacting to everyone else's energy. Someone would say, there's a birthday party here. I wouldn't even think about whether that works for me, whether I was tired. I would be at that birthday party, right? Or you know, working until midnight, I would do that too. And I just feel that I gave all of myself to other people and wasn't very mindful about what was best for me you know, I would say one of the best investments I've made is in, you know, taking care of myself, um, learning to set limits. And of course, one could argue that being everywhere at once helped me get to where I am now, right? Because I got a lot of exposure, made great relationships. But I really do regret just not learning mindfulness earlier. Um, And so now it's, it's a really big project of mine. It's something that I actually spend money on. I, you know, I'm doing therapy. I'm, you know, working out more. I'm really putting my money where my mouth is as it relates to that objective. So
0: I love to hear that. Yeah. What notes or advice would you give to younger generations just starting in the workforce?
2: I would say there is a benefit to taking a note from our parents generation um, as it relates to how we navigate our career. I think that there is value in creating consistency in your resume and really investing time at a place where you can develop relationships and also learn as much as you can. Um, Several of my peers have had five or six jobs by now and, you know, all the power to them. But um, chasing a higher paycheck isn't going to get you sustained success.
0: I mean, I have to say, when I look at um, resumes, when I see someone's jumped um, jobs often, it makes me question, you know, what is, are they loyal? Are they committed? I know that for a lot of people, it's hard to say no when you get a uh, bump in salary or in title, Mm -hmm. but you have to really think, um, you know, what that means on the outside
2: looking in. Absolutely. And I'll say this, it pays off. I'm making 10 times more money than I thought I would. Um, And if I had focused on the short term and just getting these incremental raises and incremental title jumps, I wouldn't have really built the trusting relationships required to do what I do. So that's just a tiny bit of advice for me. The other one is don't start a business unless you actually have a good idea. (laughs) That's really good advice.
0: I always say that my other job should be helping, um, and I live in Los Angeles, and I drive around and I see these um, businesses opening, and I just want to walk in and save them a lot of time and heartache and just say, this is the wrong location. Your concept's not going to work here. The logo's not good. <laughs> and I feel so bad because you just see them close a few months later, a few weeks later, and uh, it's heartbreaking to see that. So you got to really uh, know what you're doing and make sure that there's some white space for for what's needed.
2: Exactly. Arielle, what does success mean to you overall? To me, success is being in a position to make a contribution, whatever that is. So for me right now, it's being invited to be on this amazing podcast and give advice to women. I mean, being of service, right? Um, Maybe in 10 years, it'll mean contributing to the lives of my children or doing something else. But um, I think people need to think more about what they're giving back when they decide to do something. So my last question
0: is what is your actionable advice for those listening right
2: now? Don't be afraid to communicate what you want, when you want it, and how you want it. Um whether that be to a manager, mentors, people that are in a position to help you, make connections. There's nothing wrong with being assertive. I think women are always afraid of appearing aggressive. And um As long as it's communicated the right way and with gratitude, being vocal is the only way you can get what you want. What I've learned is that people assume that you're happy with what you have or staying in the position that you're in unless you say otherwise. So just think about that as we're entering review season, as we're entering a new year, and you could possibly set the pace for a new direction in your career.
0: I think that's really good advice. Arielle, I'm a lot less nervous now that we've had this time to talk. You are my favorite type of person to interview just because it's so kind of friendly and conversational, and I've really enjoyed hearing from you and learning from you today. So I'm going to bring Allie back. I know she has a few questions that she would like to ask you. So, Allie, take
1: it away. Arielle, it's so great to meet you. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. Um, Something that you just said that really resonated with me towards the end was communicating what you want. Growing up, my dad always told me, if you don't ask, you don't get. And that is something that has stuck with me throughout my entire life. But something I I really related to you with was your snag. So as you know, I started out in PR as well, and I had a very similar snag. I was making mistakes with small details because I felt like I was doing menial tasks. And I remember being on the phone with my dad and just saying, I'm smarter than this. I don't know what's going on. And I kind of had you know i'm above this mentality so like you i really learned to pay attention to the details so i you know i that really brought it home for me in terms of kind of your journey and and where you are now um what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given who gave it to you and how do you apply it to your career and life
2: so my grandfather used to always say this thing he used to always say there's nothing worse than a person who's wrong and strong <laughs> and that's been a big part of my progression um, trying to you know really embrace humility and not always needing to be right um, or prove a point um, I've become more of a listener and what I've learned actually as I've gotten more senior is that people want to follow somebody who they trust and who also is not afraid to be of service to them um, leading isn't about any sort of dictatorship or you know Putting a fine line in the sand and saying, This is how we do things. It's about being collaborative, taking opinions, being okay, sh- shutting up sometimes. Um, and so that's been a big part of my progression. And I, I've learned a lot from that quote always. Sticks in my head because my dad actually repeats it sometimes.
1: Yeah, I think that's an awesome piece of advice. And I think it's something that the listeners will all benefit from because I think for all of us, you know, our egos are so strong and it's so hard to put those aside. So my next question for you is, you know, while getting promoted six times in five years is no doubt extremely rewarding, I'm sure it also came with times of feeling overwhelmed. How did you kind of manage those feelings and just swiftly moving up through the ranks?
2: A big part of therapy for me is taking myself out of a situation and learning to put things in perspective and actually be present with others. I know that's really weird, but if I'm having a super stressful day, the best thing that I can do is call one of my friends to ask how their day was. It's, it's amazing. It's not sitting with my you know schedule or day and obsessing. It's
1: how can I be there for somebody else and what can I learn from what they're going through? That's awesome. I think that's something we can all use in our own lives. Do you have a moment that comes to mind as the most exciting time in your career? It could be from now or it could be from you know maybe once you got over the hurdle in the beginning of your career.
2: What was exciting for me was the phase when I decided to take my career into my own hands. And when I say that, I mean, so I started out working in this practice, learned so much, but I knew that I wanted to to do more and something slightly different. And so I was the one that spoke up and said that I wanted a new manager and to switch practice areas. That switch from sort of more financial services to crisis slash M&A, things like that, was a really big jump for me. And I don't know that I was certain I could do it, but I just knew that I needed to be fed more. And so I just remember that time being really exciting, moving desks, meeting my new mentor and my manager and just... Not knowing what was to come. I missed the unknown. Um, and I know that there's a lot of that in in everyone's every day. And I'm sure there's stuff ahead of me that I have no idea what it is. But I, I like to hone in, plug into that moment where I felt like I, you know, made a new direction for myself and didn't know what was going to happen. And it was just so compelling. So I would just tell people listening to try to create those moments for themselves. And, and also in those moments when you feel like you don't have full sight into what's going to happen, that's a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I think that, you know, what it sounds like is ultimately you're speaking up for yourself. And as women, that's, it's so empowering and it's so exciting, especially in this day and age. So... Congratulations on all of your success. Thank you.
0: Arielle, Ali, thank you so much for being here today. I know we all just met in person about an hour ago, but it seems it's like... It's been amazing. I know. It's been um, so really good fun. synergies in this room. So I'm really excited for people to hear this interview. And I think that's a wrap for this episode of She Dynasty. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. you.